This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. things off on a Wednesday edition of the show. It is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome to the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked foundation, bowling foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. This is DL Basement Systems. It's Logan Gordon along with you, joined by my co-host, the one, the only, the loquacious Julian McKenzie from The Athletic Covering Your Calgary Flames. J-Mac, what it do, baby? How we doing on this Wednesday, my man? We doing well. We doing well, brother. Love to hear it. We got a busy program for you over the next three hours. The San Jose Sharks perspective from that massive Eric Carlson trade. Our pal Curtis Pashelka from the Bay Area News Group is going to jump on with us a little bit later on this hour. Kimo Meyer's gone. Eric Carlson's gone. He gone. How's the rebuild going in San Jose? We'll ask Curtis about that, what kind of expectations we have for the San Jose Sharks going forward. Jays drop a close one last night in Cleveland. One nothing to the Guardians. Tough one. Great performance from Yusei Kikuchi, but Taylor will have your Jays report. Get you caught up on that. We'll have a Stamps report with Patty Dumas. As head coach and GM Dave Dickinson joined the guys on the morning show a little earlier today. WPCA report. Getting caught up on the Chucks in Alberta. And Shai Davidi from Sportsnet is going to join us as a uh, very prominent member of the Toronto Blue Jays. Getting his due this weekend in Toronto. Jose Bautista will be honored by the Toronto Blue Jays this weekend. We'll ask Shai about some of his favorite Jose Bautista moments. And uh, as we mentioned just before the show started, Julian, it is the 35th anniversary of perhaps the biggest trade in sports history. As the LA Kings acquired Wayne Gretzky, from the Edmonton Oilers 35 years ago today. Damn. So we got lots to get into. Our producers today are Cam and Taylor. They're kicking it off in the other room for us, keeping us on track this afternoon. A quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you at 960-960. But Julian, uh, as we're into another week here, Mm -hmm. we start the conversation today with no news from the Calgary Flames on a key player that we've wondered about for a lot of the summer. And that is number 28, Elias Lindholm. And over the last couple of weeks, we've had different co-hosts on the show, and I've been able to bounce it off of uh, Aaron Vickers, who does this thing for NHL.com, had our guy Peter Klein in. And, you know, we've kind of gone through this process week by week, and I've always asked the guys, you know, 
what has your perspective changed as the weeks have gone on? Does it feel different as the weeks have gone? And there's been some reporting on um on on Elias in the last couple of days. Um and then that's so you know, that's one person's read on it and one person's read on the situation. I think there are different opinions out there about the situation, but I'm curious, man. We're into August now. We've talked a lot about hey, I don't think the Flames want to walk into training camp with all of these guys still undecided. Only Tyler Toffoli, the only pending UFA that actually, as of right now, has been solved for the Calgary Flames. What are your feelings on this Elias Lindholm situation as we enter into another week of August here? Man, I don't know how much longer this can go. And I'm really curious about if they let this run into training camp. And I know I mentioned what I mentioned with Noah Hannafin, and I still think he's, in terms of the pieces you have, I think now is the time, or at least around now, is the time where you start looking into striking a deal there. I am genuinely curious about what they're going to do with Elias Lindholm and if they're really willing to let this get into training camp. I, I, I've said I'm, I wouldn't be surprised just because of how slow it's been and how much it seems this team, at least Craig Conroy, wants him back. But... I have questions about whether or not Elias does, in fact, want to be back. I can respect the fact that he wants to take as much time as he might need to make such a decision. But at some point, if you're the Calgary Flames, you're going to have to make a decision of your own about what to do with his with, with this caliber of player. Because we've, we've mentioned it. It's been mentioned either on this show. It's been mentioned on other shows. Once Elias Lindholm gets moved, that's the big domino for this team in terms of their pending UFAs, in terms of the direction with this team. And there are still a lot of fans out there who are still a little bit lost in terms of what that direction would be. And I think the player who would give the clearest idea as to what that direction would be for a lot of people, I still think they want to be competitive. And I think if they keep Elias Lindholm, that is a major key in them staying competitive. Because if, if you offload Elias Lindholm, what are you getting as your number one center? Are you relying on Nazem Kadri to be your, your 1C? Do you want to put Michael Backlund in that spot? Even if you do, your center depth will already be worse than it would have been uh, if you, as opposed to a situation where you're keeping Elias Lindholm as your 1C. Because that's a definitive, you, you lock him in in that spot. He's the 1C. That's probably, that's probably of all the players in the lineup, especially among their forwards. If there's one guy you're not worried about in terms of where you replace him in the lineup, it's Elias Lindholm in that spot. I, I just wonder what the Flames are going to do with that player, how much they are willing to wait, and if Elias does, in fact, want to stay. I understand that Frank Valley put it out there that he didn't want to stay, but I know there are other people who have said, no, he has not completely closed that door. So I'm I'm kind of in that. Like, I know for other players, it's a little bit more definitive. I'm still in that boat that says, okay, we need to wait and see until we get more info out there. But I will also say that on August 9th, about a little over a month away from training camp, the fact that nothing's been resolved, I have a lot of questions about whether or not Elias, in fact, does want to stay. Yeah, there's there's really two things for me on this, and the one that I've maintained going back to, to early July is eventually, in my mind, if the Flames have put their best foot forward on an offer, no answer from Elias Lindholm is, in fact, an answer. That's fair. Right? It's, it's, uh, hey, uh, it's, you know, asking the pretty girl to the prom and 
saying, hey, I'll, I'll get back to you. Let me know. I'll, 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 yeah. Don't call me. I'll call you. Yeah, you right? never want to be in that situation, brother. Right? Then prom comes, and all of a sudden, you're left without a date. Hopefully, you're not speaking from experience. I don't know what you're talking about. Nope. It's, yes, nope. from a lot of experience. But uh, that's irrelevant. I'm, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm over it. Um, so... <laughs> It didn't work yeah. out for me for prom either. I went through I went through some tough times, man. I, I can sympathize with that. The homies were great. Um, <laughs> word up for all the single friends. Um, yeah, like, I mean, eventually, like, that's the thing that I think from the Calgary Flames perspective, and Pat's been on this, you know, going back to when Flames talked before they took the hiatus for the summer, mm-hmm. you know, that there's an offer out there that the Flames have put to what he feels a very, uh, I won't say aggressive, but I'll say you know, good foot forward kind of offer for him. And they've sort of been in a waiting pattern forever. And I, now I agree that even from a flames perspective, you don't show your hand publicly. Even if no. you say, look, we need a decision by this date. It doesn't help you to, to let other people or other teams around the league know what that date is. No, but if I'm a Craig Conroy and a Dave Nonis, uh, you know, Chris Snow, perspective, all of these guys that are waiting for this, it has to get frustrating if you have felt like you've put your best foot forward and you haven't heard back. Because I, I do think eventually no answer is an answer. And the problem for the Flames, and this is the second point that I, I think this makes this conversation so difficult, is if Elias is sitting there and wants to know if this team is going to be competitive or not going forward, and that plays into his decision largely, it's tough because he dictates so much of that. Right, I don't know that the team can make a definitive statement on the direction they're going until he decides. If yep. he's sitting there waiting for Craig Conroy to make all these massive moves around him and then say, look, hey, we're going in this competitive direction, jump on board, let's go, he's going to be waiting a long time because the Flames are handcuffed in this position until he makes up his mind. Yep. Right, And I think the other UFAs that we've talked about not not necessarily Noel Hannafin, because I think he's made his mind up, but I think for the other UFAs, I mean, if Elias Lindholm's not going to be here, I, I think there's an interesting conversation that we had about Chris Tanev's future with the team, right? Do you approach a Nikita Zadorov situation differently? If, if that becomes the case, is Michael Backlund swayed more towards leaving Calgary if Elias Lindholm isn't here, right? He's talked about wanting to be in a contending situation. I, I, wonder, I wonder with Backlund specifically if... Lindholm staying affects him. I think of any of the pending UFAs on the Calgary Flames, my guess is that Elias, of, if you had to tell me, okay, of any of the pending UFAs for the Flames, which are the one would inf- influence Michael Backlund's own, it would be Elias Lindholm. Again, it goes back to that point that we're ultimately saying the contention status, the window, however you want to put it, it really hinges on Elias Lindholm. And I can understand maybe from his standpoint with that pressure being put upon him, that's something you got to take your time to think about. But if you're the Calgary Flames and you want to get started on some kind of direction, I I I think you should have some kind of internal deadline. Again, if you wanted to let it go into September, you wanted to get into training camp, that's on you. Maybe that. But like I you enter that October, you enter that regular season, you play you're you're playing with risk there. You're playing with the opportunity that that you could repeat Johnny Goudreau 2.0. Well, that could happen. Yeah, and that's... and and it's already out there that Craig Conroy does not want to do that. Yeah, that's that to me has to be the biggest fear for this team it is has to be. is getting into. And look, I think you can go through training camp. I don't expect 
Elias Lindholm or Michael Backlund or Noah Hannafin from any of the experiences that we've had with them, that they're going to come into training camp and be a distraction for this team unintentionally. I think it, it becomes a distraction when, you know, you're saying that it's a contract year. It's an important year for you. And look, the tide last year could have changed, you know, with a couple of bounces. I know that, that can sound ridiculous with how inconsistent this team was at points last year, but really uh, a few bounces go their way in one goal games. The goaltending percentage is like 0.25% better. The overtime games go the other way. And they're suddenly an easy playoff team. So to sit here and say that they could get off to a good start this year doesn't sound insane to me. They did that last year. They, they were off to a very good their start best start. Year. Yeah. Best possible start, and then they fell off a cliff in now, the middle I, part of the I year. I know Tyler Toffoli's not here, and that's a big part of it. I get it, but I, I still sit here and I go, I just I can't. Because if they get off to a good start, Elias Lindholm is part of that, right? If this team goes 5-2 and two out of the gate, Elias Lindholm's part of that. It's because he's playing well. It's because he's developed some chemistry with Sharon Govich or Huberto or somebody and the new system is working. But you can't take that risk because it's just it's not a winning situation. The Backlund one is different because I said this with Pat earlier mm-hmm. in the offseason. I think what Michael Backlund brings at this point in his career is probably more value to the trade deadline than it is in an offseason, right? That veteran center presence, a two-way game, expiring contract. I think all of that, especially in the cap situation, right? Knowing how much cap is available, uh, eating salary, that sort of thing, to me, makes it more of a palatable discussion to have at the trade deadline, value-wise. I don't think the same can be said for Elias Lindholm. I think you know, you're know you talking about suitors that aren't going to be available at the trade deadline, uh, you know, contender status. I mean, a lot of guys are going to have, a lot of teams are going to have one and two centers you know, short up yeah. by that point in the season. Teams and were doing that this offseason. That's why the draft time was that time. I think if you were going to move on from Elias Lindholm, that probably should have been that time. So to to sit here and say that, I, I you know, you can go into the, the regular season with this kind of conversation, I just don't think it's plausible. And that clock is, is ticking. And I just, I wonder a lot like you did when we started this conversation, Julian, how long they're willing to let this this ride and how long you're willing to let him ponder this conversation. Because they, they've given him a lot of time. I have to say right now, I, I think they've given him a lot of time. I, I would start to wonder when Craig and the rest of Flames management start making those calls to his agent again and saying, hey, what are we doing? What like what's what's the deal here? It's not as if like we don't have some idea about where the floor is. Like I know yeah. we've seen numbers float around. Uh, but look, the, the athletic, we meet Shana Goldman and I put the piece together like a couple months ago now, and I keep referencing it, but when we ran through the numbers through evolving hockey, the contract projects out to an AAV around 8.7 million. And you're using players like Dylan Larkin, uh, Mika Zibanejad. Uh, those are among the comparables with, uh, Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat is probably the, the best comparison you can make in terms of a contract. Yep. And he's at 8.5 mil if memory serves. So if and I think the Flames yeah. are at that number already. Yeah, I, I think I, that's I the don't f- think they're. I don't. That's think, the floor. Yeah, I don't think the Flames have have missed out on that number, or that they're playing some sort of hardball with Elias Lindholm's camp, where this has been a back and forth thing all summer. 
So at some point, you know, well, the agent's got a number, the team's got a number. If we're not sitting and looking at what a middle ground is between the two, then then what are we doing here? What are we doing? I can, I can understand that the Flames at some point have their limit and they don't want to go above it. I, I've said too with Elias Lindholm, I think considering the fact that you are the player who really holds the contention status together, you're the number one center, you are a Selkie finalist. I understand it was in a year where Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk were on this team. You're the best defensive forward on this team. I think if you're Elias Lindholm's camp, you have every right to ask for nine and everything above nine. I could also understand from the Flames standpoint why they would look at a player at his age and say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. This is an opportunity for us to do an aggressive retool. And and I don't think, and I'll say this, like I don't think that's the wrong move. If it gets to a point where the team says, you know what? We've waited long enough. We're going to find a suitor for Elias Lindholm. We're putting him on the trade market. I don't think that's a bad thing. You can you have to turn that asset into draft picks and and prospects and 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 pieces that Something can be tangible for, for sure. Right? You have to absolutely do that. I think more than any of the other pending UFAs, you get to that point. But at some point, Craig Conroy has to make a decision. I'm even at the point, man, where I look at this, and if the Flames said, "Look, I appreciate what you are and how important you are to to what we're doing." but we also just can't afford another long-term 30-plus contract, this I don't know that I would blame them. And I, and that's not to be disparaging with him because everything no. you just said about him is absolutely correct. And, and I've been in this city for a very long time, Julian, and you've heard of it before in your time here. The search for a guy to play number one center in this city has been a long one. Yes. Sean Monaghan filled that role for a very long time. I think was probably... At his healthiest, would probably suit out to be a better number two center than a number one, if we're being honest about what Sean really was on a contending team at his best. But again, this is the problem that I I, I run into, and NHL Network's run this recently too. Is you start, you know, this is that time of year. Okay, who are the top twenty centers? Who are the top twenty left wingers? Top twenty defensemen. Elias Lindholm came out twentieth on their list, and I think that's about fair. Right, so he's a good number one center, but is he a true number one on everybody's team? Like if you put him on a contending team, think of like, think of the best contending teams out there for the Stanley Cup. The Carolina Hurricanes come up to me as an example. He would be a number two center on that team. Yep. He's not better than Sebastian Ajo. Nope. Is he the number two center? Be is he the number two center behind uh, what? Mika Zibanejad in New York. Yes, probably. Probably. He's behind Nathan McKinnon. He's behind um, Jack Eichel. That's for sure. You know, there's a he's a he's a good one A for a team that's trying to be a contending team, and you can understand for a team like Calgary that's in the spot that they're in. If he's their number one center, you can make it work. Yeah. So, so can you pay him truly as another number one, or do you have to sit there and Craig Conroy B and understand I need a, a B to his A, right? If if that's the quality of center, and again, there's nothing wrong with what Elias Lindholm is. I'm not trying to say that at all. No, no, no. I'm no, just no. trying to say I think if you want to be in a contending spot. Do you have to sit there and look at it and say, okay, given what we know about the player and where he he projects out with certain wingers and how it's been so far in his time in Calgary, we're going to need to have another strong center option to make this work. Well, can you afford that? Can you afford another similar player at center ice with, the contracts you already have, you you thought long term. I, I think they tried. They thought maybe okay, Nazem Kadri would be that when they signed him last yep. year. And Michael Backlund, I mean, the career year that he had, I mean, in theory, 
if this team makes the playoffs, they capital they really capitalize on that. I mean, even this year, they're probably still going to need like another center up the middle, probably for their bottom six at this point. I mean, maybe it comes internally. Maybe Connor's area is the guy who comes up and impresses, but maybe you have to go down the PTO well, or maybe you have to look into signing a guy who can be a stopgap at your 4C, because I think there's a hole there right now. But if you are in a position where you are offloading uh, Elias Lindholm, then you are putting yourself in a position where you need two centers. And I'm really curious how that team will look. At the same time, not against that idea if you're able to get quality pieces in return, whether they help you now or they help you in the later. You need to get a a, a haul for Elias Lindholm. But ultimately, and to kind of you know get back full center here, a decision has to be made on Elias Lindholm. And I'm really curious about how long this team is going to give themselves in order for that to happen. He's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. We're along with you on Sportsnet today. The fan feedback line always open to you here on the program. 960-960. If you're listening live, feel free to shoot us a text on anything we're talking about today. A couple texts here on the uh, Elias Lindholm conversation. This one says, getting ridiculous with 28. Either he wants to sign or he doesn't. If we go into the season and the first game he blocks a shot, has a broken leg, well, you're losing him for free. Make a choice now, Craig. But Elias also has some blame. He should know by now. It's been over a month. Matt and Cochran, our pal texting in, says, this feels worse than Johnny. Wow. Brad was at least working under the assumption that Johnny was or would re-sign here wow. until at least the 11th hour. Wow. I, look, I wasn't around for, for the Johnny Gaudreau debacle as it was, but just seeing it from a distance and talking with, with more of you guys and, 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 and learning more about the aftermath of it, like it seemed as if it was legit down to the final moments. Like it looked as if like up until the final day he was going to sign and then a quick 180, it it changed. So to hear that, like this situation is worse, like, geez, like that's, that's tough. That's, I mean, I can, but I can understand a bit of that because we really do not know. I understand again, Frank Cervalli put out the tweets and a lot of people were just like, Oh no, all these players want to leave. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> but, like, we really do not know. We know Noah Hannafin wants to play in the States. We know Tyler Toffoli wanted to stay here, but he wanted something done in quick order when the Flames and the and both sides didn't come together on something. It was time to go. Michael Backlund wants to play for a cup contending team. We do not know whether that's by design or not. We really do not know what Elias Lindholm's intentions are. And it's just this weird, like, it's this weird duality thing where it's like it could mean he wants to stay. It could mean he doesn't want to stay. And all the possibilities are being considered. And until you figure out what that genuine possibility is, you're just losing your mind, racking your brain, trying to make sense of all of it. It's a frustrating time for everybody. So maybe that's why it's worse. Uh, Let's see here. What else we got? Uh, This one says, I'm pretty sure Lindholm wants to see the atmosphere around the organization in the locker room before he makes a final decision. I don't know if they can wait that long. That's it. You're running that same risk again. If you're you're opening yourself up to to a Johnny Gaudreau two point either you're you're I can it man this would be a lot easier if, if there's a bit more time in that contract and you say okay you see what's going to happen and then you maybe maybe if you're you're Lindholm you ask for that trade but if you're the Flames I think I don't know how much time you have. Uh, this one says first question how do we know Elias Lindholm hasn't given an answer already? Next question is has he not been traded? Uh, has he not been traded simply because the Flames value him differently than the rest of the league? Is he only worth a late first-round pick or a second-round pick and a prospect? Well, I, I think the fact is, is we, I uh, from everywhere that we've talked about, 
everyone that's been around it, there hasn't been an answer. No. Clearly, because the one side is there hasn't been an extension announced. No. And there's so little news going around right now, I have a hard time imagining uh, that he's that the decision's been made, he's not coming back, Flames are openly shopping him, and it's been just radio silence on it. I feel like given where know. we're at right now. I don't know. Considering I, I get that some of those insiders are chilling by the lake somewhere. They're not that far back. We got Chris Johnston back from, from Europe the other day. I know he's working. Yeah. We would know. We would know between the big insiders of the world or Pat Steinberg, who's who's frolicking in France. He might be back by now, actually. He's flying over the country as we speak. Yeah, he was in France for a couple of weeks, but he should be back because we were supposed to. I might try to see him before I leave. We'll see about that. But like between one of those people, we would know if Elias Lindholm was getting shopped. Like we would know. I I genuinely think right now we're in a dead zone where Elias, at least he has not made his intentions known. Maybe he knows and he just has to figure out a way to voice it. But those intentions have not been made. I would be surprised uh, if if this was already resolved and they're working under the, the guise of, of, of what's been said. But like, I feel like we would all know by now. Uh, this one says, you guys are high. If you think Monaghan was a second line center at his peak. Shake whoa, my head. whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, weed is legal. I mean, you can, you can use those substances if you want. I never look. As I, I don't think I'm as big a Sean Monaghan fan as there was when he was here in Calgary. I think he was a number one center on a team that wasn't very good for he's a, a while. He's a, one, he's a number one center on a team. You could, you could say that. There are guys who just have to fill that role. Yeah. I think he was a number one center yeah. by need yeah. at the time. But I think on a contending team, I think that we're talking about a a guy who's who probably suits as a number two center. I don't think that's crazy to say. And that's also not... I don't think being derogatory towards Sean Monaghan, I think that's just what it is. Yeah, you could be 2C, maybe on an even maybe really you feel differently about that, but yeah. I, that's just how that's I think. It. I think he was a number one center here because of necessity. Of yeah, yeah, that's, it, that happened. I remember watching the Montreal Canadiens when they had Max Pacioretty and David Dernay as their number one center. David Dernay is a fine center. He is not a number one center. Uh, quickly before we get out of here, this one says Lindholm doesn't have to make any decision or tell the Flames one way or the other. The guy's lived up to his contract and exceeded it. He's earned every right to do as he sees fit. He doesn't owe it to the Flames or the fans. And this one says Daryl or Lindholm would have left if Daryl was still here. Daryl's yes. gone. He still hasn't signed. There's your answer. All I know, Julian, is that we're going to get to a point where one side either gives an answer or makes the final decision. And I don't think the Flames offseason really gets going until that happens. And we're in August. And dude. we're in August. Like, then again, I mean, Nazem Kadri signed in August last year, right? Yep. The, the, the uh, it was late Carlson July. trade happened. Carlson trade happened. It was late July, but you know, Kachuk Huberto that happened in late July. Yep. Doesn't have to get going on July first. No. Nope. And I don't think it will until that gets figured out. No. Nope. Uh, he's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. This is Sportsnet today. You're on Sportsnet 960. When we come back on the other side, yesterday we took a look at the Pittsburgh Penguins side of things from that massive three-team trade that saw them acquire Eric Carlson. What about the San Jose Sharks who gave up on Eric Carlson? What do they get back in the deal, and where are they headed in the future? We'll ask our pal Curtis Pashelka that. That's next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Yesterday on the program, me and Julian McKenzie got a chance to break down what's, I think, going to be one of the bigger trades we see this summer. Eric Carlson shipped off to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Montreal Canadiens get involved, work out some salary. Still some interesting players to be decided what happens with Jeff Petrie. But from a San Jose Sharks perspective, we didn't get much into this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mostly with uh, chilling with Rob Rossi talking Penguins yesterday. But the Sharks have an interesting angle in all this too. As the rebuild continues under GM Mike Greer. And I'm very curious as to where this team is heading after this Eric Carlson trade. And whenever we talk San Jose Sharks hockey here on Sportsnet today, only one man we trust to uh, break it down with us. It's our pal Curtis Pichelka from the Bay Area News Group. He joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon. Curtis, thanks as always for the time, man. How are you? Good, Logan. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, it's myself and Julian McKenzie along with you this afternoon. And I guess just give us your, your reaction the last couple of days. I know we had a little bit of an update from a couple of hockey insiders that this might be coming down to the wire on the weekend, but... I guess, what was your initial reaction when you heard the news that uh, Mike Greer did pull the trigger on an Eric Carlson trade? Well, you're right. I mean, this was, this was uh, you know, weeks, if not sort of, you know, months in the making to, to make a deal work for, for all parties. You know, obviously, um, you know, Mike Greer uh, got the message from Eric Carlson that he wanted to move to a more of a win-now type of team and that the Sharks weren't going to be in that sort of spot for at least a couple more years. And, and so, you know, obviously there had, there had to be a lot to, to be worked out considering Carlson's, you know, trade restrictions and, you know, also his, his cap hit. So, and there's only so many teams that sort of can work with that. So um, the reaction was when it, once it kind of boiled down uh, to it, I wasn't, I wasn't too, too surprised that when it happened, I think there were some, there were some rumblings about, what might happen with Granlund as far as you buy out his contract and how the Penguins sort of create cap space. And and so there was really only one team sort of in that mix since, you know, Carolina was rumored to be involved in the Carlson sweepstakes as with Seattle. So, um, you know, once those teams sort of moved on from that, Pittsburgh really kind of came to the forefront. And, you know, I think from Mike Greer's perspective, you know, he's happy with his eternity to get everything he wanted, probably not, but, I think, from his perspective, it's it's a it's a way to sort of um, move forward with some certainty and to to know what you have uh, you know on your roster here going forward. Curtis, from your perspective, how do you think Mike Greer handled that trade? You know, my initial reaction was that I thought he did pretty well. I mean, I you know you'd love to see another prospect or another pick come back along with that first rounder, that top ten protected first rounder they got last season, but looking at the big picture for this team, you know, yeah, you got to take home some, some bad contracts, obviously the Grandland deal and the Hoffman deal are not, not great. I don't think anyone would say that, that you'll get full value necessarily out of those contracts, but, but at the same time, I think the sharks have the, uh, the long, the long-term view uh, in mind. Uh, you do clear $10 million in cap space uh, for the uh, 2025 and 26 seasons. Um, you know, that is about sort of the timeline, I think, for the Sharks is to win. They hope to sort of be back in a position to contend again. Um, so you kind of put all that together. You clear some cap space. You get a first rounder. 
and maybe you maybe you can flip uh, a Hoffman at the deadline, or maybe you can flip a Grandel into the deadline, or a Jan Ruda, um, you know, next season or, or the year after that. And, you know, so you put it all together, and and uh, you know, I I didn't think Mark Beer did a did a bad job at all, uh, considering everything, um, the the entirety of sort of what uh, what he got back. When you consider the pieces that the Sharks got back in that trade and they made the uh they get Anthony Duclair earlier in the offseason as well. Kind of a weird melange of of forwards in that forward core, but of course not not a lot of people are expecting the San Jose Sharks franchise to do anything for the next season. Do you think this franchise has firmly put itself in the conversation, maybe actually more than in the conversation? Do you think this team might be bad enough to get Macklin Celebrini or whoever could be the number one overall pick in next year's entry draft. I, I think there would be in the mix. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about it. You know, I mean, you're right. I mean, they, they do sort of have this sort of eclectic sort of group of, of forwards that all kind of have to come together, uh, you know, during training camp. And that's going to be David Quinn's job to sort of get everyone on the same page. And, you know, who knows? I mean, you got obviously Eric Carlson provided so much from the back end last year that, um, you know, maybe maybe uh, it was too much of one from one guy, and I think from my career's perspective, maybe you got to balance it out a little bit more, and, and the Ford group has to take on a little bit more of that responsibility. But um, you know, I, I I tend to think that it's uh, you know the Sharks still have you know one or two years. I think you know before they'll they'll be back in the uh, back in the conversation as far as being a playoff goes, playoff, being a playoff spot. And there's so many questions on what happens now with that defense core. You know, who who plays the top minutes? I mean, who's your top pair that's going to play 20, 25 minutes a game? Um, you know, who's going to evolve and, you know, uh, sort of turn into your number one goalie? I mean, they they acquired Mackenzie Blackwood from the Devils in the, uh, earlier in the offseason. They have Kapo Kakinen back for, for another year. Um, is that sort of a tandem situation? Because... You know the biggest problem for the Sharks last year was was giving up goals five on five. I think they're the third worst team in the league in that in that respect. And so, um, if, if I don't know if they, if they've really solved that problem here in the off season, but um, you know I think from they uh, you know they they sort of have a long term view in mind of maybe some of the guys they got back, like Duclair or, or like earlier in the summer. That's a guy they can probably flip for assets at the at the deadline. So. You know, it, it's uh, I don't I don't really uh, anticipate this team being competitive for the next year or two, but um, you know we'll see if they add another top top five pick this summer to go along with um, you know their their top pick earlier this year and you know some of the draft picks they've added earlier. Um, you know they they uh, they hope to be in a better position here in, in a few years. Curtis, how would a, a Tomas Hurdle or a Logan Couture see the situation for the San Jose Sharks? Are, are you do you get the feeling that they're content going through? this process or is that something that Mike Greer might have to, to look at in the future? Yeah, we asked, uh, you know, Mike earlier, that direct question, you know, has, have you had that same conversation with Logan Couture, you know, about, you know, maybe moving on to a more competitive team in, in right now. And he doesn't want to do that. And the last time we talked to Logan, he was saying he wants to be a shark. He was drafted by the sharks. He's been with the sharks his whole career. He wants to win here. Um, you know, does that change at some point, um, you know, either this sometime this year or, or even next year, uh, you know, it's quite possible he does have a 
modified no trade clause where he can be traded to to three teams without uh, necessarily his approval. So, um, you know, things can change. But every indication I'm I've gotten from 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 Mike and also from from Logan and Tomas is that they're committed to the Sharks. They want to be here and try to make it work here at some point. As always, when this kind of trade happens and you give up a guy like Eric Carlson who ate up so many minutes and, and provided so many points for this team, there's going to be an opportunity uh, for others to fill in with different roles and more ice time. When you look at this Sharks roster and some of the young players coming up in the team, Curtis, who do you feel can can come in and obviously not directly replace Eric Carlson, but can maybe take advantage of some of that opportunity left behind in this trade? Well, that's going to be a huge question sort of going into training camp as to who does sort of, uh, you know, uh, can fill that void to sort of take over some of those responsibilities. Um, you do like a guy, like a young guy, like a, a Henry Thrun, uh, young defenseman who went to Harvard um, and uh, who was acquired from Anaheim uh, last in the spring. Um, Sharks are very high on him, David Quinn. Uh, you know, used him in, uh, you know, just to use him over the last 10, 12 games of the season last year. I really liked what he saw. So he's, 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 he's a guy who could, you know, potentially fill more of a top four type role uh, in the long term, maybe even, even in this upcoming year. Um, you know, the, one of the defensemen they got back from the Timo Meyer trade, uh, Shakir Makamadoulin, uh, they're high on him as far as his offensive upside. Um, and what he could do. He probably needs a little more season in the American League um, before he sort of steps into that role. But um, certainly they like what they what they see from here. And, you know, you've got a killer cadre of, of veterans who kind of have to take on that responsibility as well. Um, you know, Matthew Betting was the second-highest scoring defenseman for the Sharks last year. Um, you know, does he, you see a guy that sort of takes over that, you know, power play quarterback-type role, um, you know, Mario Farrell was another young defenseman who eats up a lot of minutes. Um, what does Mark Edward Vlasic have left? You know, these are all sort of questions that sort of have to be answered in time. But um, I think for the long term, um, you know, the Sharks, with the moves they've made and sort of picking up some of these young defensemen uh, in the last few months are, are in a bit of a better position to sort of absorb that loss, at least for the long term, uh, than they were maybe uh, this time last season. Curtis, we can rave all day about how good of a player Carlson is, especially on the offensive end. From your vantage point working in the media, what was he like uh, as a personality? What was he like uh, when you were having conversations with him? What can you say about Eric Carlson, the person? You know, I think he was always professional in terms of his dealings with, with the media. Um, you know, when it's just, uh, you know, obviously here in San Jose, it's not exactly a, a massive media scrum at practice every day or or uh, at morning skates. So um, you do get an opportunity to sort of talk to somebody, wherever, whoever you want, um, you know, have a few minutes to chat. So um, even though Eric Carlson is a superstar, he's going to be in the hall of fame one day. He was always, you know, good as far as giving his time to, to the to reporters and, and uh, you know, being open and honest. I think he's, he was really one of the more honest guys I've dealt with, uh, you know, over the years, even back when he was late in his senator's tenure, um, you know, I got a chance to to speak with him back then as well. And, you know, he was great as far as just, uh, you know, not trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, he was just being, he was just being a, he was just kind of an honest guy to sort of deal with. So, 
certainly we appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, uh, he never sort of had an air about him in, in terms of, um, you know, dealing with the media. I think he was always he was always pretty good with us. And, you know, obviously the, he's moved on now in a different market in Pittsburgh. And we'll see how that goes for him. And, and we'll see how things uh, evolve here in San Jose as well. For Sharks fans, what would you say is the quintessential Eric Carlson moment from his tenure? What would you say is the moment that stands out the most? Well, I, you know, you, obviously this past season was just was um, something we may never see again. As far as maybe if maybe not, you know, certainly not in San Jose, but maybe even league wide for for quite a while. You know, putting up 101 points for a team that was, you know, third to last or fourth to last in the NHL this past season was was pretty incredible. But then you go back to when the, the Sharks first acquired Carlson and sort of a copper bust type move. Um, you know, there was a stretch there before he got injured. He had a groin injury <clears throat> sometime in September of the, uh, uh, or not in September, I'm sorry, in January of the 2018-2019 uh, season. Uh, there was about a stretch for about six to eight weeks before that injury where he was he was uh, easily the best player in the team and maybe even the best player in the league for a while there. So just just what he does on the ice, you just don't see it very often i don't know if you really get a chance to really appreciate it um unless you watch it live and then you get a chance and you say wow um just an incredible puck handler skilled um just what he does is i don't know if we'll see it here again in san jose for quite some time and it's unfortunate that really the sharks the five years they had him only one playoff appearance you know the last four years out of the playoffs and out of the playoffs by quite a while, quite quite a wide margin too. So, um, so you, you kind of put it all together. You just you wish you would have just more seen more of that he was healthy, and just saw more of that special type player that we saw just in bits and pieces over the last five years, I guess. Uh, last one before we let you go, Curtis. Uh, as far as the future looks for this uh, San Jose organization, how excited has the fan base been in the, your area? And I guess how excited maybe is. Mike Greer and the rest of hockey ops management staff to land a prospect like Will Smith in the draft. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he automatically becomes sort of the top prospect uh, within the organization. And, you know, later in their first round, they were able to draft a Quentin Musty was, you know, very good during the, uh, uh, you know, the development camp here. And I think they're excited about uh, what his future holds. Uh, you know, you, they have accrued some draft picks over the years. I think William Eklund, He's a guy who's going to make a challenge to to be on the 23-man roster this year. Thomas Bortolo kind of in that in that mix as well. And then you have the draft picks they had just a little bit more recently. Uh, Philip Bistead, uh, centerman uh, from Sweden. Um, he figures to sort of be in the mix over the next year or two as well. So uh, the prospect pool is a little bit better than certainly it was uh, you know a few years ago when the Sharks were always selling off their first rounders, sort of make these try to make these cup runs and finally get their first championship. So I think Mike has, has done a good job of sort of, uh, you know, stocking the cupboard a little bit, a little bit more and having some pieces to sort of build around going forward for sure. And like you said at the top, if they get a Celebrini at the end of all of this, then uh, uh, I think the fan base will uh, be even more optimistic about, uh, about the future prospects of the, of the Sharks. Curtis, great stuff as always. Certainly appreciate the time whenever you hop on with us here in Calgary. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Can't wait to check in with you again once we get back to hockey season, pal. Thanks, Logan, Julian. Much appreciated. Take care. Curtis Pichelka, Bay Area News Group covering the San Jose Sharks, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar 
guest hotline. It could be a long season in San Jose. I got a bad feeling, like you mentioned with him there. Could be a long few seasons. It could be. But a Will Smith, William Eklund, maybe a Quentin Musty. You start to see some of those pieces work their way up. The defense I'm a little bit more concerned about. There's some older names. They don't really have that guy yet on the back end. Um, like you can see in a Buffalo or something like that. Yeah. They don't have like a pure, like number one goaltending's a bit of a, Oh yeah. That's weird very much one. A, yeah. They don't really have a, uh, yeah. They, they need some more pillars at those positions. The thing is, is just, they're still in that position where they can afford to still be bad and, and just, you know, get yourself some high picks. I think they're very much going to be in the conversation for Macklin Celebrini, uh, for next summer. It's probably going to be them in Chicago battling for that number one overall pick. Uh, again, thanks to Curtis Pashelka. That's our guy. Uh, everything San Jose Sharks, we call him up, and uh, he always answers the phone for us. So really appreciate him joining us uh, this afternoon. You can check him out on Twitter at Curtis S. Pashelka. And, uh, yeah, San Jose Sharks in that Pacific Division mix this year, but definitely uh, going to be one of the bottom contenders. A lot of UFAs. Watch them around trade deadline time. Kevin LeBanc, Mike Hoffman, Anthony Duclair, Alexander Barabanov, Oscar Lindblom, uh, Radim Simic and Jacob McDonald and Capo Kakinen, all UFAs heading into this season for the San Jose Sharks. Depending on where Calgary's at, too, you think they give them a call, potentially about Anthony Duclair. There were those rumors that uh, maybe if a Hannafin trade works out, you put Duclair in that move. Yeah, maybe. And I'm going to be very interested to see what a guy like Philip Zadina does. Uh, yeah, I can't. There, I still can't believe uh, a player like him kind of got to a point where he just. I mean, I don't know if it's Roster safe to call termination. Like, that's yeah, crazy, like I'm still surprised about how that fall kind of occurred for him. But and... I love those low risk, high reward moves yeah. for a team like San Jose. What do you have to lose? Yeah, you could put them in an environment where, fine, you're not going to win games, but they need as much young talent as they can get. Put them in a situation where you could just let him be a good player, let him learn under David Quinn, and see if you can get some goals out of him. There's an opportunity for Philip Zadina in a less pressure environment than what he might have been going through in Detroit. Yeah, I'm very interested to see. Um, I don't necessarily what the results are for the San Jose Sharks, but how the uh, rebuild continues for Mike Greer and company uh, in San Jose. He's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. That's a wrap on hour one. When we come back on the other side, we will try uh, talk about the Chucks WPCA report coming up this week's edition uh, on a Wednesday. But also we have some NHL news. The Toronto Maple Leafs add some goaltending insurance. And more news on the Arizona Coyotes search for a new home. We'll let you know all about that when Sportsnet Today continues next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.